Holy moly, what an episode. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, and you want to make it happen with certainty, listen to today's podcast. We have the incredible Steve Sims on again as a repeat guest. And let me just share some of the notes with you. How we prayed this book would never have to be published, but glad it ended up happening. How the world made the wrong turn for humanity during COVID. How we missed a massive opportunity for connection. How did we play the game without knowing the rules? How COVID created an excuse economy. How hard times create unlimited opportunity for you. Do you reflect enough to adjust and win? How throwing drinking parties on Zoom turned into a massive business success. Did you know that the Candle Society protested against the light bulb because it was dangerous? The deep problem hiding under wanting to connect. When you offend somebody, you give them the opportunity to correct you. If you want to stand out, the first thing you have to do is stand up. Not everything has to have a call to action. Would you be willing to send out 300 Christmas cards in June? You're only one call away from achieving your ridiculous goal. Do you have ridiculously stupid goals? How the most powerful perspective that you can ever have is that of a child. If you get a no, you are either asking the wrong person or the wrong question. How we live in a relationship economy. And if you have strong relationships, you have unlimited potential. How caring for a tree will teach you the secrets of a relationship. And are you collecting business cards or relationships plus so much more? So I can't do this episode justice. Steve is a dear friend and this podcast is loaded with nuggets and wisdom. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good. Because this is the Mind of George podcast where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mind of George Show. And today I am honored, I am humbled for a repeat guest. Uh, I say repeat guests because I don't bring them on often, but I feel like this gentleman could come on my show every week and I would have a fucking blast or we would both get arrested for debauchery. Either way, it depends on how hard we get canceled and how much people be upset. But he is my bald brother in arms. He's an incredible go-kart racer unless my 16-year-old beats us. Lover of fine whiskey, making things happen, and literally probably one of the most heart-centered, giving, outrageously awesome fucking human beings I know is back on the show today. So, Steve, welcome back to the show. Uh, I'm 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 touched, and thank you very much for having me here. Oh, bro, you're you're in my you're in my top five favorite people. I'll never. It doesn't matter how long we go before texting or seeing, and I'm like, nope. Every time I hear your name, dude, I just get flutters in my heart. And there always is a funny story that follows when I hear your name. And I just, <laughs> I whip out my bag of popcorn and I just start listening to the whole thing. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. I love it. So I'm stoked. Uh, you just had me on your show. And uh, thank you. Yeah. I was absolutely honored and love it. We got another one coming up. Um, but you told me you have a new book coming out. And I love your first book. I love your methodology. I love your thinking. I love... Every time I hear your name, someone's got a ridiculous story of something that you got done that seemed virtually impossible. And it's one of my favorite things. And so just to set the context, because I want to talk about the book today, can you give everybody kind of an overarching why you wrote it, what it's about? Yep, there you go. So it's called Go for Stupid, which by the way, <laughs> 
fits right up personality wise, but give everybody the uh, the four one one. Do you know this is a funny thing because I prayed that this book would not come out. I prayed that this book would never ever be required. Um, but it's probably required now more than ever. My first book, Blue Fishing, was how a bricklayer from London how ended up working for Elon Musk, Elton John, Richard Branson, and some of the most powerful people in the planet doing the most amazing experiences. And then we ended up coming up with COVID. And the whole point of COVID was that it was the first time in history when we were all connected with a unified problem. Even the world wars didn't attack every single country in the world. There were countries that weren't involved in the world war, even though it was called a world war. But there was no country that was left undamaged from COVID. Yet in this period of not being able to connect with each other, we chose to disconnect. We tried the cancel culture. We tried the gotcha society. Hey, there's a statue. Let's find out what they did inappropriate. 200 years ago. I'm sure as fuck I did something inappropriate yesterday. So we're trying to put everyone up on pedestals and then pulling them down. And quite simply, this aggravated the crap out of me. And I felt as though I needed to do something about it. I wanted to be the change that I wanted to see. And so I'm calling it out on why we need to change, how we communicate with each other, why we need to, how we're doing it so badly, and how we need to support and challenge each other rather than condemn them. Yeah, man, I I couldn't agree more. I feel like one of the things that I respect and admire about you the most is your ability to communicate, like over absolutely everything. Like, I know I joke and we're brash and we're honest, but like one of the things that I just fucking love is that I always know where I stand, right? There's no fluff, there's no seating, there's no like, oh, this is later. Like it's direct and loving and connected but you've mastered the art of communication. And I saw this during COVID, right? Like people went one of two ways. They either went cancel culture, gotcha, fuck off, and this veiled connection, or they went kind of real of like, I want to deepen my relationships. Let's share a common goal and let's do it. But I feel like it was 99% to cancel and 1% uh, to let's connect and do something different. Yeah, I don't, want anyone, I don't want anyone to think that I'm just going to look like drivel and moan at people but this isn't a new problem we've got just in the society we've got today has been amplified because let's be serious you know 50 years ago if you did something in in africa no one would know about it unless you were next door to the situation today what was social we're hearing about everything three seconds after it's been posted yeah so any problem news uh dismay disheart bleed whatever has been amplified into millions within a second. So, and that's the danger. False information now has a platform to breed. And that's a, that's a problem with it. But I actually went through, there's some lighthearted, there's some comedic moments that I've been on, but you're right. When, when COVID came across, you're right. We had two ways to play. We were forced to play a game where nobody knew the rules. And there were some people, a lot of people, that decided to run for the bench and go, right, what can I binge watch on Netflix? And did you remember how many people used to post that? Yep. I used to unsubscribe and remove people from my friend post if I saw that shit. The other thing that I used to find funny was people turning around going, oh, I can't get to the gym now because of COVID. Your fat ass wasn't going to the gym before COVID. 
it became an excuse economy. Yet here was the dumb thing. For the first time ever, every power player, celebrity, billionaire, anyone you wanted to communicate with was at home. For the first time ever, they were away from the noise and distractions of life. They couldn't go to a black tie gala. They couldn't fly a little flyway to the Amalfi coastline. They couldn't do any shit like that. In fact, one of the first things I did, and I didn't look at it as genius, and I wouldn't say that I was a great communicator. I would just say, I would just say that everyone else is so bad at it, yeah. I look brilliant, you know? <laughs> I'm like uh, uh, I'm like a 55 year old in a five year old's MMA fight. Yeah, I'm gonna win, but that's only because everyone else is shit. When COVID came across, the first thing I did, and it wasn't supposed to be brilliant, but I thought every Friday night at five o'clock, I used to, I like to pour myself on old fashioned, and I like to reflect on the week, and I used to go, "Did I earn this?" You know, now whether it be a glass of wine, a cup of coffee, walking your dogs down the beach, whatever. But I do like to just grab the time because as entrepreneurs, we're going at 200 mile an hour. So at the end of the week, I like to go, okay, did I earn that week? Did I put my most into it? Did I benefit from it? Where did it go wrong? What could I have learned? And I like to just assess myself for the following week. And I thought to myself, well, I'm going to have a drink this Friday night. No one can go out because we're all in the same boat. Why don't I do it on Zoom? And I started doing these happy hours going, hey, I'm going to drink on Friday night. You want to drink with me? But you've got to turn up. Be prepared. I may pick on you. I need a bad joke. I needed to be bad. I needed to be inappropriate. You know, I just needed to be a dad joke. Whatever. Show up. We ended up with 200 people on these happy hours, all with range of... People from Australia were turning in with that morning coffee. There were people, and this used to make me laugh, I don't drink. Can I show up? And I said, it's happy hour. I didn't say you had to drink. I said, it's happy hour. You can, you can do what you like. Just be there and be happy. Um, we had over 200 people just turning up, telling bad jokes. And, and I realized that if someone's coming on my Zoom call on a Friday night, on the West Coast at 5 o'clock, which is 8 o'clock on the East Coast and like 7 o'clock in the morning at other places. How desperate is the world? Yep. How, how is it? Now, I know I should go, oh, I gave people an outlet. But I suddenly looked at it and I thought, how bad is it that this is the only outlet for them? And then I started looking around for other people to have those outlets. And people got better with Zoom. But Zoom became where you did business rather than where you connect. And I just thought to myself, today, we need to connect. To meet, today, we need to be able to turn around and go, you know, George, how are you? And, of course, the obvious answer is we're going to get, hey, I'm fine. <laughs> and then we need to turn around and go, okay, we've got that shit out of the way. How are you? Yeah. And we really need to push that. And I think a lot of people are terrified to do it. So the book started off with me just doing rants online, calling people out putting probably, you know, sarcastic and inappropriate memes up on my IG page. And then it just developed into a book. And the daft thing is, as I say, we've amplified it today. But as a species, we're crab-like. We pull people back. Yeah. And I actually went back in history. This will make, make you pee your pants. Do you know that when they were trying to actually put the light bulb into production, the Candle Society, yes, there was one, 
the Candle Society protested against the light bulb because it was dangerous. Now, I don't know any of the Boston or London fires that were ever started by a light bulb, but every <laughs> single shit of them was done by a candle. So it just, and Ford, Ford was actually protesting, and it's all in here. Elon Musk, um, Ford had a protest when it tried producing the car. And the reason for the protest, this will make you giggle, the car can't go through the woods, but my horse can. So they tried banning the horse. So as people, we have an inept desire to consume things that are new, but we've never increased our ability to retain it. And this causes a situation where we don't like change. Mm. It's like, you know, when you get it, when you buy a car or your motorbike or something like that, and then the following year, there's a facelift on the car or the bike. Most people just, oh, I don't like the facelift. And it takes time to grow on them because as human beings, we're actually not that good at change. So we like to keep things down. And that's the society that we're currently in and it needs to change. Yeah, I, I love that. And you just said something I want to hit on. I want to ask you to expand on this because I hear it because we operate similarly, but we talk about Zoom meetings, right? Like I yeah. loved your happy hours. I jumped on a few of them and I'm like, this is like a comedy show in my living room where I can just drink a <laughs> glass of wine and pass out and not have to get a DUI on the way home, right? Like this yeah. was, but I would watch these people come up and then I would watch them post about them and there's another one and I want to drink. And then people started sharing recipes for like their libations and it was incredible. But what you just said was so powerful. You created this container and it allowed for you to connect, right? As Zoom got so transactional so fast because everyone's like we're working remote get on zoom get on zoom and it created this disconnection and what i love about you is that you're like wait before anything can happen before you can set a goal before you can negotiate that play before you can make that ask you need to have a connection and it doesn't matter and the connection's not like oh how's your morning what's your coffee like it's like creating that space for that and i feel like you're a master at this what are some of the things that you think about or advice for people? Because whether you're a five-year-old in an MMA fight, fighting a five-year-old and winning because everybody else is shit or, you know, whatever the other reference is, there's a lot of people that I've ran into that were like, I want to do it different, but I don't know how. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. And they weren't binge watching Netflix, but they really struggled with creating connection, right? They were like, how do I do this? What event do I schedule? And this is something that you've mastered. And so when it comes to these events and these experiences and where we know the world has to change, where we know we have to get out of cancel culture, where we know we have to find the humanity, what can people do or think about differently to focus on creating the connection first rather than the transaction? So I don't think, I, I want to challenge you or I want to challenge the perspective of that question. Sweet, because it felt jumbled out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> people people are trying to find a way of connecting today and they don't know how. That was the premise of the connection. Yeah, yeah. But actually there's a problem that's deeper there that's actually the real problem. People, it's not a case of people don't know how. They're scared of trying for fear of being mocked. You see, today we're in a planet where we're looking around at people, waiting to see them step out so that we can point our finger and go, ha, ah, look at that person. They don't know what they're doing. In a world today where we've got cancel culture, like for argument's sake, one of the biggest sitcoms in the planet 
friends, whether you watched it or whether you don't or whether you didn't, that show could not happen today. No. Nope. It could not be. Seinfeld, Cheers, none of these programs that we absolutely adored could happen today. Why? Because we've got woke up our backside and we're scared shitless to offend people. Well, let me point something out. When you offend someone, you actually give someone the opportunity to correct you. You know, I want to say something in ignorance, not in rudeness, but ignorant to the understanding where I can allow myself to become educated by having that person go, hey, Steve, why did you say that? Well, I thought that's how you always said it. No, you don't understand. This is happening to that. I'm like, damn, I didn't know that. Thank you. We today are actually terrified about getting into a conversation. The thing you said there, quite simply, is people want to do things differently. Don't. Do things 1980s style. Let's go old school. You want to talk to someone, pick up this thing that you probably have in your underpants somewhere near you, your phone, and use it to phone someone. Isn't it amazing when someone phones someone now, they either have to text in advance or the phone comes and immediately you look down and you go, and you, there's an interruption, okay? You, who's calling me? Well, it's your mum. But, you know, it annoys you because we're built into this kind of like resist, uh, resistance and this hatred of phone calls. If you want to stand out, the first thing to do is stand up. And to do that, go old school and do two things. One, try to connect someone without fear of reprisal, gotcha, giggles, send out um, emails, send out video texts, send out Christmas cards, send out anything, send out love. The the um, things that we did, the, uh, the happy hours, I used to get people text me and go, Steve, that was a great uh, happy hour, but there was no CTA, there was no call to action. You know, you didn't you didn't pitch us about this. I'm like, it wasn't for that dumbass. This was for us to share a drink. Hey, join me on a Tuesday morning. I'll pitch you about my new book. I'll pitch you about my course. But this was for us to connect. There's a place. Not everything has to have a CTA. And today we're actually terrified of doing things and people watching us. We're under the scrutiny. Go old school. Care. One of the things I do, give you a perfect tactical thing, is most years, I don't do it every year because people get used to it, but around about June or July, I will send out about 300 Christmas cards. Okay? And I'll send that out because a few things. One, Christmas cards are really cheap in June. <laughs> they really are cheap. Go on Amazon, you can buy like 100 for like 20 bucks. And inside, I write this, and it's usually the same thing. You are so special to me, I wanted to be the first one to send you a Christmas card. All the best, Steve. Now, of course, what happens in November? You get these from your milkman, your, your travel agent, your, uh, your insurance agent, a couple of clients, a couple of affiliates. You put them up on the mantelpiece and you throw them all in the bin the day after. But how many people send one in June? Now, I actually said to my son, I said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to write them. He even signs them. Okay, so they weren't even signed by me. I said, you fill them in, you put them in the envelope, you handwrite the envelopes, I'll give you 20 bucks, love child labor, and then you send them out. And he stood there go, why are we sending out Christmas? And I said, just watch, watch. 
And then what happens is all over the internet, people are going, who sent me a Christmas card in July? Steve Sims. The amount, I got people contacting me going, what do I need to do to get a Christmas card? Just the most, we, we want to connect because at the end of the day, and I've been to your masterminds, your masterminds are brilliant. So a big voucher up for if you're thinking of going to George's, stop thinking, just go. But the point is we love to connect with each other. We love to be in a room where people can bond, where we all share the same ideas, whether it's a vineyard, whether it's a biker bar, whether it's an entrepreneur event, whether it's a hockey game. We love to get in a room and connect with like-minded individuals because at the end of the day, primitively, we're pack animals. You've got to be the one that dares to stand up and you've got to stop worrying about everyone laughing at you, pointing at you, and you've got to show you care and be ignorant to those people laughing at you. I took, I had one bad time in my life where I sold my style. I tried to change what I looked like because I listened to a person that wasn't even invited to the event I was going to, and he scoffed on how I was thinking of turning up. And I listened to him. That guy wasn't even on the same platform as me, and I listened to him. So far too often, we listen to people that don't matter, and those people out there that want to try something different, just do it. And again, as it says on the book, risk achieving what you're going for. Push yourself and you'll be surprised. First of all, they will point, they will giggle, and then they will be in awe, and then they will applaud. Yeah. Trust me on that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm lucky I learned this lesson early because the worst thing that happens is you get feedback on how to do it differently next time. There's no way to lose yeah. this game, right? Like, it, yeah. at the end of the day, and I have a question about, because you have a philosophy that I absolutely love, but, you know, it's so crazy to me and we joke about it, right? Like, I joke, I'm like, I get paid absorbent amounts of money to remind people to be decent human beings. Like, at the end of the day, I shouldn't yeah. have a job. Yeah. I'm blessed that I have it, but I really shouldn't have a job about building world-class customer journeys. And this is how you love your customer. And this is how you get them to get a result. But it took me years to get there because I was in the digital marketing trap back in 2010, right? I'm like, I can't email them too much. They're going to get mad. Oh, I sent a mistake. I can't correct it. Or I don't want to talk too much, right? And it was missing. And I'd say every struggle in my business always came from missing the connection because it was living in the transactional world. And it wasn't because I wanted to transact. It was because I was afraid of being vulnerable and being seen and being called out and being, you know, flambasted and gaslit. And at the end of the day, now that's the best time of my life. They're like, did you, like, I just keynoted in Denver and you would have been so fucking happy when I was done. I was dropping F-bomb after F-bomb and Sharon Lecter was there. And Sharon, she's an OG. She's been in the yeah, game she, for a long she is, time. Yeah. She sold Love 35 you, million books. And Sharon sees me speak occasionally and she's like, that was the best marketing presentation I've ever seen. But George, the, the vulgarity, George, like just the vulgarity. And I was like, I love you, Sharon. This is just me. Sharon spoke the next morning and I was sitting in the back of the room and she got frustrated. And she's like, oh, shit. And she literally locked eyes with me. And I'm like, I got you. And she just started breaking out laughing because it was like a permission slip for her because she never <laughs> swears. And she's like, I can't hang out with you anymore. But there was an old version of me that would have got off stage and would have been like, I can't cuss, I can't do whatever. And then who knows what would have come out of my mouth because it wouldn't have been authentic. And nope. 
we had a great laugh. We laughed for like an hour and she's like, I can't believe you got me to swear. And then I said, damn. And now, and I was just like eating it all up, but it's really a powerful principle. So for everybody listening to this, I think what you said was so powerful in the beginning. Like we're not saying something or doing something or standing up out of spite. You're standing up out of truth, your truth, your willingness to go after something. And if your intention is behind it, then the only results you will get are positive. At worst, you get feedback on how to do it differently. And at best, you get what you actually want. And I think that that's such a powerful premise. So there's one thing that I love about you, and you alluded to it here, but I want you to talk about it. And you said this at one of my masterminds, and of every piece of fucking wisdom that you drop, this is what people reminded me of. And I was like, that's what you got? That? And they're like, well, yeah, all the rest of it. But you looked them dead in the eye, and one of them asked you, and you're like, well, how did you do that? How did you get that done? How did you get to the Titanic? How'd you get somebody married in the Vatican? And you were like, it's really, really simple. You pick up the phone because you're one phone call away. And it resonated with everybody at such a visceral level where somebody will have a goal in their life. They'll want to make something big happen. And then they sit behind their computer disconnected from the world and try to perfectly plan it. And you're like, pick up your phone. And I'll never forget it. You looked him dead in the eye and you're like, you're probably one degree of separation away from getting what you want, but you have to call. And so can you expand on that? Because I love this premise and I love this topic. And I used to be the yeah. guy that would silence my phone and be like, how dare you fucking call me? <laughs> and now I'm like, call me, call me, right? But I think this is so powerful in the world of getting things done. And I'd love your thoughts. Well, it, it, was, it all stemmed from uh, an event that I did in uh, Florence that became this revelation to me. I had been uh, asked to get a client, and, in, and that's where the go for stupid mentality came from. People would ask us to do things, and we would sit around the table and go, right, how can we make this request stupid? How can we make it ridiculous? How can we make it just fantastical? Never impossible. That was a word. That was our Voldemort word. We never use that word in our office. I don't use it today. So I want to take your goal, your dream, your ambition. And I do this with when I, I train crew, crews and I do coaching. I always try to take your goal into the realm of stupidity, you know, and that's where we're going to hang it. Look at all of the people today that we revere. Larry Page, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Richard Branson. They all went for stupid goals and they achieved them. Steve mm -hmm. Jobs couldn't write code. Now he's got the biggest computer industry out there. Richard Branson, I'm going to uh, disrupt the music industry. Uh, Elon Musk, I'm going to disrupt the banking industry. Now the auto, now the space. Larry Page, let's give everywhere a place to communicate. Google, you know. It was a simple situation that everyone that we revere and applaud and look up to had stupid goals. And that was the thing for me. I wanted to have this kind of uh, mentality. So I had a client of mine that wanted to have this dining experience in Florence. So I thought, that sounds boring. I could have got him a nice table, contacted the chef, had the chef come out, giving him the food, handshake, photograph. Wow, you know, I met the chef of this. That wasn't going to do it for me. So how could I take this to a level of stupidity? I ended up closing down the Academia de Galleria Museum in Florence that houses the world-famous David, Michelangelo's David. Set a table of six at the feet of Michelangelo's David at 9 o'clock at night. 
They came into their own private museum. And then as soon as they hit the main course, I had Andrea Bocelli come in and serenade them while they ate their pasta. And after that event, I was like, hang on a minute. A bricklayer from London just closed down a museum on the other side of the planet, you know, from people that he knew making this phone call. Can you call him? Can you introduce me to him? Can you get me that? And it just, and I thought to myself, how did this work? And I even went up to the academia people and I said, hey, this is brilliant, but how come you did it for me? You know, and I, I literally was dumbfounded that I was there. I just finished chatting with Andrea Bocelli. I was looking at the table. I had the entire museum shut down. How, 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 did, I, how did I pull this off? And they looked at me kind of equally as dumbfounded that I was asking the question. They went, you asked. <laughs> and it literally, sh I couldn't sleep that night. I remember they put me up at a beautiful hotel suite in the Savoy Hotel overlooking the Republic Square of Florence. And I sat looking out of my balcony until the sun came up. And I was like, how come I did this? I did this. I did this. I did this. Now, I love you, George, and you'll never lie to me, but I haven't been getting these things because I'm the smartest man in the planet. You know, you, you and I will both agree with us. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but hey, I come with impact. Yep. And I couldn't work out how I was getting these things and everyone else wasn't. And then I realized it's because of you, the person listening to this. You will sit there and you will go, hey, I'd love to shut a museum down in Florence. And that takes two nanoseconds for you to say that. But then you'll turn around and go, but I don't know anyone in Florence and mm -hmm. I could never get. You'll spend two seconds saying what you want and then 10 minutes telling yourself why it could never happen. And that just made no sense to me. And as the stupidest person on this podcast, I never followed with that 10 minutes. I would yep. be, I want to do this. You want to get married? Let me call the Pope. You want to play on stage? Let me call Guns N' Roses. You know, I would do all of these things. And I would just go for it. And just like that, that four-year-old child that doesn't have any kind of like hesitation about going things until we as parents push that hesitation into them, they go and do shit. And then we go, no, 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 you can't do that. Well, as grown-ups, the most powerful people in the planet are children. Mm -hmm. They look at it with childlike curiosity. You know, Elon Musk would look at something and go, well, I don't want to fix that. I want to understand why it's there in the first place. Let's get rid of it. Let's see if we can circumvent it. You know, let's not make a problem better. Let's remove the problem. And that's what he did. And that's what I did. And I suddenly realized that the one asset I had was my tenacity to ask. So if I want to go and close down the Vatican, why would I sit in a pub or why would I sit behind a screen? Why don't I phone someone in Rome and go, hey, do you know how to? No, I don't. Do you know anyone that could? Maybe Bobby can. Put me through to Bobby. Hey, Bobby, do you know how to close the Vatican? Nope. Do you know anyone that does? Maybe Michael can. Put me through to Michael. You're going to end up going through tons of people. And as you keep doing this, the amount of calls you have to make are less and less and less. When I wanted to shut down the museum in, in Florence, I phoned up one person and I said, hey, I've got a stupid idea. I want to shut down a museum 
at nine o'clock at night because my clients challenged me for the most amazing dining experience in Florence, and I want to do it at the feet of David. Do you know who I should call? He just happened to be one of the biggest um, donators to the, the, the museum. And he went, I'll introduce you. And that was it. So I went from making thousands of phone calls to making one. But how do you, how do you walk a thousand miles? You start by walking an inch. Mm-hmm. And that's what people are scared to do. Yeah, man. I The only thing I would challenge in anything you said is that I feel like I'm the stupidest one on this podcast, which is why I bring all my friends on. So we can have a duller tool in the shed conversation. But, you know, what I, I, think, I, love, I think we're both at that end of dull. But as I yeah. say, we move with impact. We we do. We do. And, and here's what's crazy. Um, and I would love your thoughts on this, because here's what I've found. I've found typically the crazier the ask and the more willing I am to ask it the more willing the people hearing it say yes. Like they feel like they're a part of something. They give the easiest yeses. They are never like, oh, you're batshit crazy. I'm like, no, 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 this is crazy. And this is what I need. Can we do it? And they're like, well, if you believe it can be done, we'll totally help you. And it's crazy to me because I have learned that the crazier the ask, but more so the willingness to stand in that ridiculously stupid goal excites the people that were asking for help and they get excited about it. And I'll watch them like turn themselves sideways and people will be like, like one of my events, perfect example, our gift boxes, like our tickets for the event are $500. Our gift boxes are worth $15,000 each. And everyone's like, how much did you pay for this? I'm like, I didn't. Like, what do you mean? They're like, what'd you do? I'm like, I picked up the phone and called them and asked them if they would donate. And everyone said yes. And I thought some would say no, but all 20 of them said yes. And so we have literally copious amounts of shit to give away because we asked. And I feel like it's easier now because I've learned that lesson, but I've never been met with the craziest of goals or asked with a no or don't ever call me again. At worst, I'm met with a, you know, I don't know if we could do that, but how can we creatively try? And I feel like it enrolls other people in the goal and in the game. And I found that. Have you found that to be true too? I found two things, and I want to give someone a piece of tactical advice on this. If you get a no, it's because you're asking the wrong person or the wrong question. Now, there's many, many times in my earlier game when I would try to get into things and someone would go, no, 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 no. And I'd walk away a little bit dejected, and then I'd look back and I'd be like, hang on a minute. Does that person have the authority to say yes? It's like you going up to the valet boy outside of Garland and going, hey, can I get in? (laughs) If he says yes or no, it's, it's irrelevant because he doesn't have the power to get you in. So who are you asking? Are you actually asking the, the, the key holder? And that was the first thing I noticed. I noticed a lot of the time I was asking people, they never had the authority to say yes. Yep. So I was asking the wrong person. So, hey, don't get dejected. Just realize that that person didn't have the capability. So then the next part moves on to my second part of question. You're asking the wrong question. If I say to you, yo, George, I need your car today at four o'clock. You know, now we're boys. So you'll probably go, Steve, you got the car. Yeah. But if we didn't know each other, then you'd probably turn around and go, no. And I'd be like, oh, well, yeah, you're using it. Yeah. I mean, you'd make something up, but you've already established a no. When someone says no, you actually got to swing them back to a neutral before you can swing them to a yes. Most people don't want to move off a no. So when you get a no, 
that is usually the end of it. So mm-hmm. what you've got to do is you've got to ask a question that you can't have a no. And you actually did it in there. Whenever I've asked someone, hey, I've got this crazy dream. Let me tell you about this dream. I want to close down this, do this, do this. Is that not the most amazing dream? And they listen to it, and they know I need them to do something about it. The dream is obviously fantastical. No one ever will poo-poo on a dream. But as you say, they turn around and go, but we've never done that before. And that's when you move in with the, well, then let's make history. Yep. You know, you haven't asked them, hey, can I have your museum? I didn't do that. If I'd have walked up to them and go, hey, I'm glad we're having this time. Can you give me your museum at 9 o'clock tonight, please? Kick everyone out. I want your museum. I'd have got an immediate no. So I told them about this dream that I had. And then I asked them, so what do we need to do to make that happen? And they literally turned around and they said, and this is true, they went, but we've never done that before. And that's when I went in with, well, should we make history? And everyone wants to be part of something grand. Never ask a question and practice this with your, with your friends, with your associates, with the barista at your coffee shop. Try and ask questions that can't be answered with a yes or a no. Okay? Try and, ask, try and do that. Get into the habit. Again, if you get a no, you're asking the wrong person or the wrong question. I love that, man. I I love that. Now, I have a question that a lot of people ask me all the time, and I want to hear your take on this because we might be dull tools in the shed, but we have impact and we have relationships handled, right? And one of the questions I get asked all the time is how do you manage your relationships, right? Like people think I'm over here behind my computer, like pinky in the brain. And I'm like, today, I'm going to send 400 cards in the mail, and I'm going to text 200 people and then, and I'm like, no, 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 none of that happens. And they're like, well, what's your CRM? I'm like, well, I know what that stands for, but I don't use one. I use people. And I've answered this question so many different ways, but I would love to hear your take on it. Because when I get the question, people are like, well, the only reason you got that is because you must be texting them like every day, right? Or calling them once a week or, you know, and I'm like, nope. No, I, uh, nope, I'm not doing any of that. I feel like we're on a solid connection. So I would love to hear your thoughts and like, what are your secrets or how do you manage relationships or how would you answer that question? So the first thing is, is the question is pretty diabolical to start with. Yep. Okay. Cause people look at you and they go, oh my God, you know, how do you manage those uh, relationships? How, what do you have to do to all of that? Oh my God, the chore, the work, is it not worth it? Yep. You know, why are you looking at building up your relationships as a negativity? If you're, if you're in that position where you're asking that question with strain already, well, that's your first problem, okay? Because today, I can go bust, I can go bankrupt, but I've got my relationships, so I can come back. Today, we're in a relationship economy, okay? If you've got strong relationships... You've got strong potential. That's the end of it. So how do you manage those relationships is not the question. You know, why you uh, um, retain those relationships, that's everything, and then you'll move forward with that. But I actually look at it from the gardener's perspective. And, you know, as as a rancher, you know, you may, may respect this, but I remember getting this lesson taught to me when I had a house of mine And it had this amazing tree in it, amazing tree. 
And I was planting some bushes and we did some new turf around it and stuff like that. And so as we're going through the sprinkler systems, the water and all that, I said to my gardener, I said, right, well, we've got to protect that tree. And he said, the tree's good. And I said, yeah, but, you know, we're doing all these new bushes and stuff. They may be disrupting it. And he went, no, 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 the roots are deep. The roots that you're doing on these new bushes, they're too shallow. They won't impact on it. I said, but we've got to do more water. And I was really worried about upsetting this tree. And he said, no, no, no. He said, the tree's gone past it. And I said, look, where are we on a disconnect here? I want to protect that tree, and you're telling me that we don't have to. He said, the tree is connected with the land. He said it was dangerous when it first started, when it was a seed. It could have been killed by anything. The worms could have killed it. He said, but it was nurtured at that time by the past owners. They put the effort in at the early stages, and then it broke soil. He said, and again, it's vulnerable to the birds and being trodden on by the animals, being trodden on you. But no, the past owners, they put time and energy into it and again protected it probably even put some kind of fence around it to stop it getting trampled. And then it got a bit stronger and the roots started getting deeper. And then it started getting girth on it because it was protected. He said, from there, leave it alone. He said, just come and visit it every now and then and you're good. So when you look at the tree analogy with your relationships, all the efforts done at the beginning, these people that go to seminars, and I just I just came off of um, Traffic and Conversion, the largest marketing conference in the planet, and I was one of the headline keynotes with Ed Marlet, Logan Paul, Lisa Vanderpub, a whole bunch of people. But even at the event, and I challenged people this, you know, I said to them, who met someone here this year that they met last year that they've had no contact with for that year? And there was a whole bunch of people up, and I went, well, here's the thing. Those people are business cards. They're not friends because you've not put the work in, okay? But I bumped into um, Paris. I can never pronounce his last name. Lapalos and Evan Carmichael and Joe Polish, people that I hadn't seen for a while, and we hugged it out. Why? Because all of the, and you say effort, but all of the care and focus on that relationship was done at the seedling stage. Now I've just got to visit my trees. These are people that I, I get to meet. You, I haven't got to see you for five years. And the next time I, that we do, we're going to like hug it out like we're in an MMA batch, rolling around on the floor, giving a big man hug. Yep. Because all of the work's been done at the beginning. So all of the idea that you have to be on text every day, you have to be on video every day, you don't. But every now and then, just take the time and go, I haven't spoken to George. Like me and you, your probably ears were burning like nuts on Monday night. <laughs> on Monday night, I was with the olive oil king and queen. Oh, your Megan friends. and TJ. Yeah. Yeah. And I bumped into her and I was like, hey, how you doing? I, I know you. Now, we're not close. We're not friends. Uh, we're associates, and that's not trying to be rude, but we're not that close. And I remembered them, and then I remembered them because they'd send me the olive oil, and they were at your party. It was part of the gift and we started chatting and communicating your name was talked about your events all of that was coming about because of the connection i had with you now they looked at me as a credible person because of you they had a relationship with me because they had a relationship with you and so it it branches out and as you were saying about people telling you stories 
you don't actually have to be in the room to continue that relationship as long as what you stand for is being presented that you'll often go, oh, Steve, I haven't spoken to him. I'm just going to send him a little text. You're going to send him a text with a little dirty picture joke or a little yep. silly emoji, send him an avocado or whatever. I don't know what that stands for. It's probably something rude, but send <laughs> someone an avocado or something. And it's just those kind of things. It's not an effort. Nope. It is a privilege. I'll just mic drop that one. I feel so edified right now and learned and reminded and refreshed, you know, and that's a really good reframe. And, and I'm going to challenge some people and they ask me because no relationships for me feel like effort. They feel intentional, right? They just feel intentional, right? Like this is like people ask me like, well, how do you keep up with people? Well, I travel a lot. I fly a lot, right? And the worst thing I can do is Netflix and chill on an airplane when I have three hours of Wi-Fi to like run my life. And so I literally will get on the plane every time I fly and I put my phone in airplane mode and then I open my text messages and I scroll to the very bottom from like three years ago. And I'm like, huh, I haven't talked to them in a while. And I'll shoot them a text and I'll shoot them a text and I'll write like 50 text messages like, hey, I've been thinking about you, just checking in. And I'm honest, I'm like, I scrolled to the bottom of my phone and realized we haven't talked in two years and I'm not okay with that. And I typed them all. And then when I land, I take my phone off airplane mode and it sends out, right? And 50 messages go out. And then for the next week, I get a, oh shit, I have an event. Do you want to keynote it? Hey man, I haven't seen you in a while. Do you want to do this thing? Hey, I forgot to call you about this thing because the roots are there. And I'm just intentional about that follow-up. And so I, I love that, man. I I love that. And TJ, I just got a box of olive oil yesterday. I just fucking love them. They, they oh, got that's me. brilliant. It's amazing stuff. They, they, oh, they yeah. really and, are incredible. And for everybody listening, I haven't had TJ and Megan on the show, but the freshpressoliveoilclub.com. So you don't support the $3.2 billion olive oil mafia that's selling you laced bullshit. That's not really olive oil. So go to the source. It's absolutely incredible. Um, so Steve, I want to, I want to land this plane. So we're going to release this podcast before the book comes out, but the book drops on October 18th. It does October the 18th. This will be on an Amazon near you, or you can just visit stevedsims.com and you'll be able to see all about it there. Okay. So Steve D Sims. So on Amazon, it's called, uh, go for stupid, the art of achieving ridiculous goals, right? By Steve Sims. So you'll find it. It'll be on Amazon. Uh, for everybody listening, I read Bluefishing all the time. I recommend it all the time. I'm going to add this from knowing Steve and knowing what's in the book. But when you realize that a bricklayer from where are you from originally? I always forget. East London. East London. Yeah. I, the, the, I'll the, say London. the lovely sunny hills of East London. <laughs> the lovely sunny hills of East London can go from bricklayer <laughs> to nightclub promoter to getting the most ridiculous things done I've ever heard of in my life. It boils down to everything you've said today. It's the intention behind it. It's creating the connection. But I think more than anything, it's about being confident and setting ridiculously stupid goals and giving yourself the chance to fucking hit them. Yeah. Like, go for it. Like, I, I, my wife wrote a post the other day, and, and I'll share this with you. But when we moved to Montana, very few people supported us. They're like, you're leaving everyone and everything that you know. What are you going to do? You're living in eight short-term rentals for two years. Your kids are going to be unhappy and unstable. And it's so funny now that we live on a 50-acre ranch with a private horse barn and my kids have like farms and animals and wings. 
of like their own part of the house, everyone's like celebrating. And I was like, yeah, but do you remember a year ago when you told me I was nuts for living out of a suitcase or moving once a month because we refused to settle? Like my wife was clear and fuck, there were times and I was like, are we nuts? And I'm like, yeah, we're just the right amount of nuts. And now I'm <laughs> spending every night, you know, like shoveling horse shit and driving a tractor around Montana with my pink shorts and boots you know, living the life. And I had to reflect on this the other day. And I was like, wow, like four years ago, we just had this crazy vision that we wanted a Yellowstone ranch and we were willing to do whatever it took. I mean, like Steve, you'll laugh about this. When we moved here, we packed up three cars and a trailer and we moved, this is my joke. We moved four of us, three horses, three cars, uh, three snakes and road tripped for four days to get here. And when we got here, there was no housing available. So my wife rented a fucking tree house for the first week. And so we moved here in December in the middle of a Montana winter. And I'm carrying snake cages up 60 metal stairs into a tree house for us to live in a tree house for a week before we moved to another house. And now they're like some of the most fondest memories. But I was like, damn, yeah. I'm crazy. And then the best one, and you'll appreciate this. When you have pet snakes, no hotels are like, yeah, bring your snakes in. Bring them in. Right? And so when we wanted the kids to have an experience, we rented the honeymoon suite at the Venetian in Vegas, right, from the movie. And I was like, all right, we're in Vegas for two nights. I want the kids to be happy, right? Like, let's get them bells and whistles galore. And uh, the valet's like, do you want me to get your bags? And I'm like, no, 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 I got them. Because in this giant box were three snakes, two pythons and a red tail bow that I was like smuggling into a Las Vegas hotel <laughs> on the strip. And then I had to put like two do not disturb signs so the maids didn't walk in the room and see like snakes in the hotel. But yeah, that, that, that's how we got to Montana. That's how we got to Montana. <laughs> Aren't always the best stories. I remember we we did the same. You know, I've got I got three kids. Uh, Henry was born when we were in Hong Kong. Uh, Lily was born in Switzerland, and George was born in Palm Beach. And we've always moved. We've always moved around. And a lot of people used to say, "But you're you're breaking the kids up. You know, they're not going to the same school and stuff like that." And now when we go back to London, they're like. There's people that I know, and they got their kids there, and that kid's like, I've been in the same school for like 18 years. You've yep. been in like 12 different countries, you know? Yep. I'd swap. And my kids love it because now also what you don't realize is that along that journey, and how old are your kids? Uh, 17 and 5. 17 and 5. The 17-year-old you can have a conversation with. The 5-year-old gets a little bit tired. You have no idea what they're being saturated with. Yep. And my, my boy, George, he's 17 years old now, and he can converse about Italy, Spain, France, you know, Asia, because he's had that. Now, even though he was a kid and he's grown up, he looks at things, he's like, yeah, we did that. You know, I, rem I remember that pizzeria. We were, and I seem to remember that going on. And he, they have that experience. It's in them. They're never yep. too young. It's in them. Yeah. And, 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 and full disclosure, it's the funniest thing. I mean, on paper, the world was sacked. My daughter was a freshman in high school with the same kids that she went to school with. And she's like, I'm ready to move. My daughter went from having two friends to about 30 friends and going out once a night to out every night, hiking, camping, fishing, connecting, rock climbing. And I'm like, who are you? And my kids are just thriving. And it just reminds me just to sum this up, like, no one's going to build your vision for you. 
Nope. If you don't fall in love with these ridiculous, stupid goals and make them a part of your life, they're never going to happen. You got to take a chance. Yep. And the worst thing that happens is you have some core memories and you're like, I won't do that again. Or oops, not making that mistake twice. <laughs> and you learn from it and you move on. And it's it's beautiful that you wrote the book because I, I fucking love it. Uh, it reminds me of Bo too. You know, Bo Eason, right? Like the yeah. amount of times I've recommended that book out. And I'm like, no, no, no. If you were seven and didn't draw a life goal, you're already behind. So start now and like yeah. make it fucking silly. Be the first kid to make it into the NFL or then go launch a Broadway play after you retire as like the smallest NFL person ever. And and I, I absolutely love it, man. So I want to I want to close with one last question. And I, I'm, I'm really excited for your non whiskey wisdom since what's early right. in the day today. But I don't know what you're up to. It's Monday. So. Uh, I like to land this plane with one simple question. So I'm just going to assume that everybody listening to this podcast didn't hear any of it. But right now you have the opportunity to tattoo a piece of wisdom on their soul that they take with them forever. What would your tattoo wisdom be? Dare to ask. Dare to ask. That'd be God, that is very fucking powerful and succinct. Holy moly, dare to ask. I love it. All right. So for everybody listening... Uh, don't listen to my podcast ever again. If you don't buy the book, I'll be really aggressive with this one. That's, that's my aggressive play. It's on Amazon. Uh, so when you're hearing this, it will either be dropping in a couple of days or already out. If you're listening to the replay, it's called go for stupid, the art of achieving ridiculous goals by Steve Sims. If you can't spell that, uh, Google works really, really well. He's the only bald guy, earrings, mustache, whiskey, motorcycles, and he's tagged on all my profiles. But here's what I'll say as we land this plane of daring to ask. Don't wait till you read the book to start asking. Take something today, like pause this right now. Don't finish it. Don't leave a review. Don't share it, but be like, wow, who can I call? What's that one thing I've wanted to do that I've been afraid to ask? Or what's that one connection that I've wanted to make or that one event that I want to create and start it today? Because like Steve said, you can't run a marathon until you hit that first mile. And taking that step is the most important thing. If you want to practice on me or Steve, send us the most fucking ridiculous ask that you could imagine and see what happens. I think you might be shocked by the answers you get, but start flexing this muscle and putting it into practice every single day because it will go from thousands of phone calls to two and two to one, and it will get easier and easier the more that you use it. So Steve, anytime... My podcast is your podcast. I fucking love this. We'll have to do it in person again soon once we bump into each other on the speaking circuit at some point. But uh, if not, we might have to visit Montana since I have a feeling you haven't been here. Have you been here? There you go. No. So now I have a reason. Perfect. I live at the entrance of Glacier National Park. This is what we call heaven Perfect. on earth. You can bring the whole family out and uh, we can get you driving the tractor with some whiskey and doing some ranch work. And Perfect. then uh, we'll get wifey or fix so you don't end up driving your own. Yeah, no, exactly. She loves tractors. Thanks, No, I love it. I love it. Well, man, thank you always for giving us this time, for sharing your genius with us and for writing incredible books and just being an incredible human being. I appreciate you immensely. For everybody listening, this has been another episode of the Mind of George Show. So most important thing to remember is that relationships will always beat algorithms, especially the one with yourself. So start now, get to work. And now here's the outro. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Mind of George Show. 
please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. Otherwise, you can get access to my Relationships Beats Algorithms Facebook community and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.